Week number four, love and God's invitation. You cannot separate the two. And the whole idea of the invitation is because he loves you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't invite you. So let's begin tonight in prayer. Father, thank you for this love that has invited us into a relationship into eternity. Thank you that uh, you loved us first. We didn't initiate this. We didn't call you. You called us. And you called us while we were yet sinners. Before we had ever repented of anything, you called us. Your grace is amazing. So Lord, tonight we're seeking to know you in ways we didn't know you before. And I ask that through your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, you'll reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The first day of this five-day session was to know God. If you want to know God's will, and if I were to look across the audience tonight, that's, I've told you the first session, the number one question I get in ministry is how can I know God's will for my life? Number one question, always has been, number one question. Hey, preacher, how can I know for sure what God's will for me is? If you want to know God's will, you must respond to his invitation to love him. Until you're willing to respond to the invitation to love him, you will never, ever be able to fully know God's will. You've got to be able to respond to his invitation of love. And tonight you're going to find out what that looks like. You might be surprised. In Exodus 3.14, uh, before I say that, have you ever thought about how deeply, um, have you, let me put it like this. When God reveals himself to Moses, Moses is at the burning bush and Moses is going to have to go into Egypt. He's been gone from there for 40 years and he's got to say, hi, God sent me and I'm going to be his spokesman. And Moses says, when I go and say that crazy statement, what am I going to tell them your name is? Who sent me? Who are you? Because they're going to want to know who sent you to tell us that you're his spokesman. Here we go, Exodus 3, 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's his name. Now, here's where this thing gets interesting. God reveals his character, his personality, what he's going to do, who he is by his name. When they named me Terry, I'm convinced they had no idea that Terry would mean anything other than Terry. It doesn't mean anything. What's Terry mean? I have no idea. It doesn't mean anything. But in that time, the name meant something. It had an attribute that was uh, assigned to you. So when God says, I am who I am, he's declaring, this is who I am. You want to get to know me? You got to know my name. You want to know my name? I am. That's a pretty big name. God was telling Moses that he was everything that Moses would ever need. When Moses, all I want is your name. God says, I'm not going to just give you my name. I'm going to give you my name and tell you who I am when I give you my name. I am who I am. God was telling Moses that this calling to go to Egypt would be powered and completed by the name that reveals the person 
under the name I am. So can you know God by hearing and understanding his name? Yes. It's important as we read the scripture tonight that we can know who God is simply by paying attention to his name. Because his name's not random. It's not like Terry. It means something. He's revealing who he is. Jesus comes on the scene some 1,500 years after the time of Moses, and this happens. Now, he's, he's 1,500 years after Moses. That makes him about 2,000 years after Abraham, because Moses is about 500 years after Abraham. So, he's 2,000 years after Abraham. 2,000 years, okay? And this happens. Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father's will, but it is my Father's, my Father who will glorify me. If I want to give glory to myself, it won't count. But it is my Father who's going to glorify me. You say, He is our God. But you don't even know Him. Notice the word, know Him. We're experiencing God, right? Jesus was looking at these people and said, you don't know Him. You don't know Him. But I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him. And I obey him. Please don't read over this. You know what he's saying? There is a direct connection between knowing him and obeying him. I do know him. And I obey him. Your father, Abraham. Remember, there's 2,000 years. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old, Jesus. How can you say you've seen Abraham? It's 2,000 years back. Jesus answered, here he comes. Can you know him by his name? You see where I'm going? When, God, when Moses says, I'm going to go into Egypt and tell them that God sent me, and they're going to say, well, what's his name? I am. So 2,000 years in the future, after Abraham, 1,500 years after Moses, Jesus says, Abraham was looking forward to my coming. You aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you know Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth before Abraham was even born. I am. Whoa, what did you just say? What did you just say? Before Abraham was even born, my name is I Am. Now, how do you think they took it? Look at this next verse. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Let's kill him. That would make you over 2,000 years old. And you don't look a day over 30. This is impossible, right? Do you know who's calling you? I'm looking at the room tonight and ask you a question. You know who's calling you to follow him? His name is I Am. He is everything you need. And it's important that you know his name because to know his name is to know not just a title, but to know him. I remember I preached an eight-part sermon series back in 2013 called I Am. 
Jesus reveals himself specifically when he says, I am. In fact, I remember I made a big deal over that uh, eight weeks. It's um, two words and three letters. Two words and three letters. I am. Two words and three letters. He could have used any name in the world, but he used two words and three letters. And he reveals his name, not just a title, <clears throat> but his attributes, his personality. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, truth, and life. And I'm in the, I am the vine. So it wasn't long after we did that series that we scheduled a mission trip to Haiti, and we had to do like seven or eight sessions in Haiti, and I remember I had this real brilliant idea, rather than trying to write something new, let's just use that I Am series as the theme for our whole trip in Haiti, and we'll go down there and we'll make t-shirts in, in Creole, in Haitian, because we made these t-shirts up at Nineveh that said, I Am, two words, three letters, right? It's really cool. So we'll make these t-shirts up in Creole, and we'll go down there, and we'll have a big deal out of it. Two words, three letters, God reveals himself to the world. There's one problem. In Creole, it is not two words and three letters. It's several words and a bunch of letters. The whole concept went down the toilet. But that's still his name. We've been focusing on Jesus' statement since we started this session, what? I am the vine. During this study, I am the vine. Jesus is telling us that connecting our lives to him, connecting these branches to this vine, connects us to I am. That means all seven of those names and much, 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 much more. I'm the bread of life, right? All, all, all seven of those names are ours through Christ. Jesus told those people around him that he knew he saw Abraham, but Abraham lived some 2,000 years before Jesus was born in the flesh. The whole story of the Jewish people, the people called in love by God, the whole story of them began with whom? Abraham. That story began with God providing a lamb for a sacrifice. Can you see how God is putting all this together? So let me, let me frame this before I read it. <clears throat> the father of the Jewish people, which would become the father of the children of God. The children of God. Listen carefully. Everybody on earth is God's creation, but not everyone is his child. Those who are under the family of Abraham will be the children of God, okay? This is really important. So when this story begins of God creating a family on the earth, <clears throat> he's going to create a family on the earth. He's going to create a family. He's going to be the father. Jesus is going to be the brother. And everybody else is going to be his children. He begins with one guy. And the crazy part about this whole thing is this one guy is 100 years old. And he's going to have a baby at 100. Him and his wife. His wife's 90. He's 100. So he has this baby supernaturally at the age of 100. <clears throat> She's 90. And the baby's not very old. <clears throat> the child is not very old until God comes to Abraham one day and he says, Okay, Abraham, I love you. I love you. 
I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to go over to Mount Moriah, and I want you to build an altar, put your son Isaac on the altar, raise your knife, kill him, set him on fire, and get on about it. God called him. God clearly said, this is what I want you to do. Genesis 22, verse 6, it's in the notes. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to his daddy Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, we have the fire and we have the wood. But where is the sheep? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Now, if you know the story, they walk up to the Mount Moriah, which would eventually, if you don't know, will eventually become the temple mount of the Jerusalem temple. It'll become where they build the temple years later. They walk up on Mount Moriah. Abraham builds an altar. He takes his son Isaac. Always wondering in my mind, uh, I don't know, always wondering in my mind, was Isaac kicking and screaming or did he go willfully? Uh, my bet is he's kicking and screaming. And they take him and put him up on the altar and he raises a knife. He's really going to kill it. Let everybody stop for a moment. He's really going to kill his son. He is in such a love relationship with God, and he trusts God so much that, that he believes that even if I kill him, God will raise him from the dead because God already made me a promise that through him there would be all this stuff happen. God promised, and God never breaks his word. So if, he's, if I kill him, he'll raise him because... God already told me, and God never lies to me. And he already told me that through Isaac, through Isaac, through Isaac, not through Ishmael, through Isaac, he's going to do all this stuff. So, there it comes. He takes the knife. He's, God stops him. He stops him. He stops him. Verse 13. Then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. So he's, can you, can you imagine, use your imagination, he's, he's letting Isaac go. And Isaac's going, that's close. And Isaac gets off the altar and they take the ram that just so happens to be there. And he puts it on the altar. Abraham names the place. Abraham named that Mount Moriah, that place, Yahweh Yireh. We call it Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Can you know God by knowing his name? <clears throat> We can't see him. You can't touch him. You can't smell him. You can't. Can you know God by the revelation of his name? Abraham is. 
Anybody get that? Abraham, yes, Moses did. What's your name? I am. Now, Abraham has experienced God. And his experience of God allows him to give God a name. Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh Yara. God provides. Go down to verse 15. And then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name. Wow. It doesn't get any higher than that. I swear by my own name. I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And because all because you have what? All because you have what? Say it out loud. Obeyed me. You think it's important? All because you obeyed me. So I remember back when I did that Jesus series on I am, I am, I am, I am. I came up with this thing in my head, and I'd like to tell you what it was. Here here it is. Whatever question you might ever, you can take the next 20 years of your life and think of questions you'd like to ask God. Just questions, big, little, whatever they are. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you tonight, I'll give you a shortcut. He can answer them with his name. He can answer it with two words and three letters. So go on right now and think of a question. Go ahead. What you'd like to ask God. And I can see Jesus saying, I am. Next, I am. Next, I am. Why do I go through all that? Why is that in the session? Can you know someone by their name? You can if their name reveals who they are. That is how Abraham... How did Abraham know God? He experienced him. God initiated this love encounter with Abraham. Right? Abraham believed God and he waited on God. It was about 25 years of waiting before Isaac was born to him. God was developing the character and trust of Abraham during the time of waiting. So I'm going to ask you a question. Had Isaac come earlier, had it all come earlier, right after Abraham and God's encounter, would Abraham have had the character to take Isaac to Moriah? Probably not. Do you think God doesn't know that? It took 25 years for God to shape this man's life so that he would be so in love with God, so connected to the word and will of God that he would be willing to kill his own son. It was in that time of waiting that he developed his character. And at the end of that waiting, Abraham obeyed God, even to the point of sacrificing his son Isaac. And God was revealing his name, his person. And they were becoming like this. They had this relationship. They didn't know about each other. They knew each other. God knew Abraham and Abraham knew God. They were close. They, they had a relationship. With all that background, 
from day one. Let's read this powerful word from Jesus. John 14, 21. And I'm going to ask everybody, focus when I read this. Focus. Whoever has my commands. Here we go. Anybody ready? Look up here. Look what I'm holding. You will not be able to say you don't know. Whoever has my commands and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. Anybody listen? So how do I get the love of the Father? He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him in return. And what? You want to know about experiencing God? And I will show myself to him. You will experience me. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Whoever has my commands knows my words. Do you think Abraham guessed at going to Moriah? God's word told Abraham, go to Moriah. Whoever has my words, has my commands, and obeys them, he is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will show myself to him. This is experiencing God. And you will never experience God until you're willing to accept his invitation of love, and his invitation is of love is based upon your willing to believe that he is who he says he is. He is who he says he is. What? He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. Where's the lamb? The Lord will provide the lamb. Did you notice when he said it? Before he took Isaac to the altar. The Lord will provide. Who? Day two. Worshiping God. What was day one? To know God. What's day two? To worship God. I have a very short summary for that day's study. And here it is, kind of a testimony. I have personally in my life learned how and why to worship God. Now, it's just a personal testimony. I want you to understand why I say that. When I read through day two, it came clear to me that I have a testimony. I through the last 30 years of my, my life, have learned how and why to worship God because I have experienced Him. You know why I worship Him? Because I know who He is. <laughs> and the moment you know who He is, you will never again in your entire life have trouble bowing yourself to Him. It's done. Done. I'm pat. Whoa, I'm, I'm way past that part. Is it hard to worship him? Do I, do I have to? No! Because I know who he is. You know how I know he is? I've experienced him. And once you experience him, I can worship him because I know who he is and I have experienced him. And, and there's people in this room that you can say that's your testimony as, as well. And if, and if you're struggling with the mere fundamental of worshiping him, then you still don't know who he is. That's the only way I can explain it. I'm not being rude. Then you still don't know who he is. Because when you come to the conclusion of who he is, that he is I am, worshiping's kind of the easy part. 
You see, I could never truly worship him until I came to know him. And I could never truly know him until I experienced him. And I could never truly experience him, are you ready? Until I was willing to obey him, irregardless of what he said to do. Didn't matter. Well, what, what, what's he going to ask you to do? Doesn't matter. Well, what's, what if he asks you? Doesn't matter. Why? Because he's I am. He's I am. Do you understand who he is? He's I am. What if he says, take your son? He's I am. If, you, if you're not getting over that part, you're not really understanding who he is that we're talking about tonight. Day three. We're going to go from knowing God to worshiping God to love God. Day three. God takes the initiative to pursue a love relationship with you. This love relationship is not a one-sided affair. He wants you to know Him, and He wants you to worship Him, and He wants you to do it because you love Him. Not because you're afraid of Him, because you love Him. Based on John 14, 21, and that's what we focused on just a minute ago, right up above there. Based on John 14, 21, who are the people who love Jesus? Say it out loud. Boy, y'all really good at that one. <laughs> Based on, let me just say it slower. Based on John 14, 21, who are the people who love him? They obey him. The ones who hear the word. And by the way, we got a copy of it. And those who obey the word. So I'm going to ask you a question. This is really big tonight. Does any, is there one person in this room? If you are that one person, please don't answer, okay? It would mess up the whole situation. Can you imagine one person in the room that would say, Abraham could say to God, I love you, but I ain't going to take Isaac to Moriah. See, in your mind, you're thinking, well, that's an unreasonable response to I am. But you think you can. And there's the problem. Anybody hear me? Anyone who hears the word, believes the word, receives the word, obeys the word, he's the one that loves me. And you and I know that Abraham is Abraham because why? He heard the word, he received the word, he believed the word, and he obeyed the word. You and I would say, Abraham, something's wrong with you if you didn't do it. If you didn't go to Moriah, if you didn't raise the knife. But somehow or another, we think that, well, not, that doesn't apply to us. That just applies to great big Bible characters in the Old Testament. Really? Can I just tell you what gospel that is? That's the gospel that you made up. You made that up. How does the father respond to the person who loves his son, Jesus? Because that's in John 14, 21. With love. What two things will Jesus do for the one who loves him? You see what's at stake? That's just one verse. He'll love, if I obey him, he'll love me and he will reveal himself to me. Do you believe him? Because I do. He'll love me and he'll reveal, he'll show himself to me. 
and I'll experience him. Now, let's go to verse 31. But the world must learn that I love, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. So what's Jesus modeling for me and you? The world must know that I love the Father and I do exactly what the Father tells me. What did Abraham do? I love the Father and I do exactly what the Father tells me to do. Jesus is modeling the way we have a relationship with God. I love the Father and I do exactly what He tells me to do. From God's perspective, how do we show Him love? From God's perspective, how do we show Him love? Seeking, listening, receiving, obeying. You see, here's the point that I need to make right now. Abraham did not show love to God by making up a set of things that he could do to impress God. Abraham didn't show that he loved God by making up something as an offering to God. How did Abraham show he loved God? Listening to God? Believing God, receiving the message, and obeying the message. Blackaby says this, a love relationship with God requires that you demonstrate. A love relationship with God requires that you demonstrate your love by obedience. If you love Him, you will obey Him. And if you have an obedience problem, what's your real problem? You have a love problem. So let me broaden this out because I, I need to put it in practical application as I hold this up. You know, the Bible is very clear. I'm going to give you some just random examples, and they are random. What about sexual purity? If you love God, you'll keep yourself sexually pure. Guys and internet, you know, internet pornography is a rampant sickness. If you love God, you will keep yourself pure right? How does God measure love? He says that you'll, you'll receive my word and you'll obey my word. The Bible talks a lot about sexual purity. What about lying? Got a problem with lying? You just don't tell the truth all the time. How do you show love to God? Well, I'm convicted about telling the truth. You have God measures love by obedience. Do you think obedience might apply to sexual purity? You think it might apply to lying? You think it might apply to stealing? You think it might apply to covetousness? You think it might apply to idolatry? You think it might apply to gossip? You think it might apply to pride? You think it might apply to lust? You think it might apply to anything? Or you think, well, it's just about taking Mar Isaac to Moriah. Then you haven't really gotten anything out of this. This calling of a relationship is to all of us. He's given us a word, and we've heard the word. Now, how I respond to that word tells God whether I really love him or I'm just going through some kind of a religious ritual here. Whatever the command might be, with Abraham, it's go sacrifice Isaac. It is based on love. And this is where many people struggle with this. Whatever God might ask you to do. I mean, I can't imagine him asking you anything bigger than he asked Abraham. But you know what God asked Abraham to do was based on love? 
It's based on love. God is love, and he only operates in love. It is against his nature to operate outside of love. So whatever God is leading you to do right now, whatever he's leaning into you about, or whatever he's asking you to experience, it's based on love. I look back 20 years ago when God looked at me and says, I want you to quit your job and go to Nineveh. It's based on love. He loved me. See, he saw something in my future better than if I stayed my own way. He saw, I didn't see it, but he saw something in the future that was bigger and better. How was I going to experience the love that God saw in the future? I had to obey him. Do you think I would have experienced that if I'd have said, no, I'm afraid? You see, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Can I ask you a question? What if you don't love him? That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, do you know that God's called you to a purpose? There's something that he's got you planned to do in this world. There's something specifically that he wants you to be involved in. Do you understand that? And if he's going to work all the details of your life into something good, if you're willing to love him, so I'm going to go back to my analogy a minute ago. 20 years ago when I was forced to make a decision, I had a crisis of belief moment. I was convinced. I heard a word from God. I want you to go into the ministry. I was terrified. I'm not qualified. This don't make any sense to me. I got three kids under 16. I don't know. That church is too small. They can't pay me. I got, I got a thousand reasons why this is the stupidest idea on earth. And I got one reason why it makes sense because I am said do it. Would I, could I have said, I love you, Lord, but I'm not going to do it? Is that, is that possible? Can I, I love you, God, but you're asking too much of me. Then that's not love. What, whoever has my commands and obeys them. This is what Jesus says. It's not me telling you this. It's not Henry Blackaby telling you this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them. Can you see how important the Bible is to loving God? How would you know what his commands are to obey apart from the Bible? Whoever has my commands and obeys them. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32, 45. When Moses finished reciting all these words, now he's reciting the law that God had given him. And he's standing in front of this massive amount of people, millions of people. When Moses finished reciting all these words to all of Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully the words of this law. Why? Why? Because God loves you. And God loves you. And because he loves you, he gave you this because he loves you. He didn't give you this to make your life hard. He gave you this out of love. Do you understand?
Verse 47, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. When Jesus calls you and I to obey his commands, his words, in this book called the Bible, he is not restricting us, he is setting us free. Do you understand? People look at the Bible and say, oh, that's going to make my life hard. And you have no idea that this is where you will find freedom. They are life. Blackaby says this, suppose you had to cross a field full of landmines and a person who knew exactly where each landmine was buried offered to take you through it. Would you say to him, I don't want you to tell me what to do, buddy. I have free will. I don't want you to impose your will on me. But there's landmines. You know what this thing does? It tells you where the landmines are. Do you understand? It reveals all the things that are going to blow up your life. Know him, love him, believe him, trust him, obey him. This is all part of experiencing God. Day four. This is when it's going to read really good. When he invites you to join him. Blackaby says this, the Bible is the record of God's activity in the world. Now, I want you to notice the contrast. The Bible, what I hold, is the record of God's activity in the world. In the Bible, he reveals himself, his purposes, his plans, and his ways. The Bible is not primarily a book about individuals and their relationships with God, such as Abraham, Moses, and Paul. Rather, the Bible focuses on the activity of God and his relationships and with individuals. Why? So that you might come to know who he is. God works through people. I wonder if this section will be the most important thing tonight. At least it was for me. God works through people. Yes, he could do everything on his own. I can assure you there is nothing he has called this church to do that he can't do by himself just fine. Probably better than us. But that's not how he operates. He wants us to be in a love relationship with him that joins him in his plans to redeem the world. One of the greatest evidences of this is the 12 apostles. God gave, and, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. God the Father gave 12 men to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, you gave them to me. So, God the Father gave 12 men to Jesus to prepare them to accomplish his purposes. Jesus could have done everything on his own, right? Does anybody think Jesus couldn't pull it off with those 12, without those 12 guys? Those 12 guys were like dragging an anchor. He didn't need them. You understand? He could do it by himself. Whatever he was going to do, he could do it by himself. But that's not it. That, that's not it. And then, then you don't understand why he's here. 
He could have done everything on his own, but that's not how God wants to work. That would leave out the love relationship. None of these disciples called and chose Jesus. None of them. God chose them and gave them to Jesus. The Son revealed God's will to them, and they carried out their mission of love. So Jesus, how did God speak in the Gospels? He spoke to His Son. So God spoke to Jesus. Jesus spoke to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He spoke to them. He told them what God was doing, and they joined Jesus. Jesus joined the Father, and they changed the world. Could Jesus have done it on His own? Yeah. But something would have been missing. Here it comes. The whole idea of what he was going to do with Abraham was make a family. He wants children. He wants a family. This is, before I read, before we change pages, I want to illustrate this. Before I read Jesus' prayer, I'm going to give you a physical example. Uh, this past weekend, uh, before Sunday, before this past Sunday, it was pretty weather. I decided I was going to go fishing one day. And if my objective is to just go fishing, typically I'm better off to go fishing by myself. If my objective is just to catch a number of fish, to catch 20 fish or whatever that number might be, I'd be better. If that's my objective, just go by yourself. So instead of, that's not my objective. So my objective was I wanted to go fishing, and I'd like to go fishing with someone. So I've got a little six-year-old grandson named Case Cooper. He's the oldest of my grandchildren, and he's the most proficient at, ch at fishing. So uh, I call Ch uh, Case and say, would you like to go fishing? Well, that's the dumbest question you'll ever ask him, because he's going fishing. So Case and I go fishing. And we're in this boat, and we fished uh, for several hours and caught a whole lot of fish. And um, if the objective is catching fish, I'd have been in that boat those four hours alone catching fish. But is the objective catching fish? Because see, you, you need to get this part. You need to get this part. Because I interjected something else into it. I am not in a love relationship with those fish. In fact, I'm going to eat them. I don't know them personally. don't care to know them personally. I'm going to eat them. Fry them and eat them. But there was another person in the boat that I wanted to spend that time with. And the conversations and the time, those four hours in that boat, are precious to me. And I'm a sinful man. My nature is sinful. And if me, a sinful man with a sinful nature, can experience that kind of oneness with a six-year-old, what do you think God desires for you? Is it about what you catch? Or is it about what you do while you go fishing? What did he tell Peter? I will make you fishers of men. Do you think it would be any advantage to be fisher of men if you didn't know who Jesus was while you were in the boat with him? The whole point of the getting in the boat with Jesus is to get to know Jesus, not to catch fish. Oh, we're going to catch some fish. Do you understand? Because that carpenter can fish. But what's the point? What's the 
point of all of it? If I get to the end of the road and what's the point? Do you know me? And do I know you? That's it. That's it. I, I don't know that that means as much to you all as it does to me, but it, it speaks volumes to me because we got very little time in the boat. In light of eternity, the time we get in those boat moments with the Lord are very limited and they are fleeting. And everybody's off busy, running around, running where, doing what. And you don't have time for the only thing that makes time mean anything. The love. So here's his prayer. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he, in front of his disciples, in front of those guys that he loves, he prays out loud to the Father, and they write it down. Jesus says, for I gave the words, I gave them the words you gave me. <laughs> in fact, you, you all got a copy of it. I gave them the words you gave me. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed Father, that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me. For they are yours. Whoa. And all I have, Jesus says to his Father, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through these disciples, through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they're still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Use that to protect them when I'm gone so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, Father, I protected them, and I kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except one, the one who was doomed to destruction so the Scripture would be fulfilled. His name was Judas. Does anybody see the love is the fuel of the mission? If you look at the mission and you jump the love, the mission becomes meaningless. Go down to verse uh, John six thirty nine, And this is the will of him who sent me. I shall lose none of all he has given me. Who's given them to Jesus? God is. I'll lose none of them that God has given me, but I'll raise them up on the last day. John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He does. That's how the Son does it, because the Father communicates it to Him. Yes, to your amazement, He will show Him even greater things than these. Verse 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son will give life to whom He is pleased to give it. 
All of that, listen, here's the point. All of that is based on love. It's all because of love. Jesus is still calling people right now, today, into a love relationship. Yes, the calling comes with the need for obedience. It does. You want me to leave that out? I can't, because he doesn't. We are not just called to watch, but to join and participate in God's divine plans. We are called by God to be watching and actively seeking to serve God at any moment. Is it possible that God is working around us and we don't know it? Yes. Maybe we don't know it yet. Is God doing something right now in Anderson County, in Kentucky, in the United States? And right now, we're still not fully aware of it. It's it's possible that He's doing something near you, and you still don't know what it is. And maybe the time will come soon that He'll reveal it. And when He does reveal it, what do we do? We participate in it. We join Him. So let me give an example of that. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is the prophet Elisha. If you want just to study this incredible, study Elisha. He's the guy that took over for Elijah when Elijah got raptured. And Elisha, um, the king of Aram, hated him because he kept thwarting all of his victories in battle. So he dispatches the army. You got to get Elisha. You got to get Elisha. You got to kill Elisha. You got to kill Elisha. So Elisha is just casually in this town, and he's in this town. And, and finally, the, they, they have covert ops, and they find out where he's at. And while Elisha's asleep, they surround the town. Got him. Got him. Right? No. Because they don't know who I am is. 2 Kings 6.15. So Elisha has this servant guy that travels with him. When the servant of the man of God, when the servant of Elisha got up and he went out early the next morning, going for coffee, I guess, an army, the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city that Elisha was sleeping in. Oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? I can hear him now. He looks out and all he sees is soldiers and we're in some deep trouble. Oh, what are we going to do? And what's Elisha say? Verse 16. I see Elisha sitting back in a recliner just drinking coffee. I got a vivid imagination if you haven't figured that out. Don't be afraid. Why? Elisha could see what those around him could not see. He said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, that servant guy hears that from the man of God and thinks, you're nuts. I just looked out there and there ain't nobody with us. And Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes so he can see what I see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Whoa, I got goosebumps. Do we serve a God other than this one? See the same one? You know what our God's name is? I am. You know what this one's name is? I am. So I'm going to ask everybody a question, a very right now question, especially in light of the events in Louisville and Frankfurt today and all this, does the current political unrest and the pandemic and 
all of this stuff make you feel like a luscious servant? Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, what are we going to do? Because you know a lot of people in church, that's what they're acting like. Oh, what are we going to do? Who do we serve? Who, does we, who do we serve? The world is, needs hope. And we're the only ones that have got hope. And you don't sell hope with what are we going to do. You sell it with faith. We must live in an intimate love relationship with God. We should be praying. In fact, one of my daily prayers is that He will give us eyes to see, spiritual eyes, so that we can see what He's doing, so that we can be a part of it. Last day, number five. No one where God is at work. Remember the story of Zacchaeus when Jesus comes into a town and there's this large crowd, but there's one guy who's really short in stature, so he's up in a tree because he wants to see Jesus, but he can't get through the crowd. This statement is powerful to me personally. Blackaby said the crowd was not the harvest field. The harvest field was inside the crowd. That day, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of people in front of Jesus, and he picked out one guy. One guy. Now, I'm going to tell you, as a preacher, that's big to me. The crowd isn't necessarily the harvest field. The harvest field is inside the crowd. Jesus picked out one he picked out the harvest field inside the crowd. His name was Zacchaeus on that day. Only God can do this. Only God knows the location of the fertile soil for his seed on that issue. And when I preach sometimes to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and I don't see any responses, and sometimes I look like, what am I doing? Why do we keep doing this? But what if there's just one guy? Just one guy. One Zacchaeus, and he's on that back row, and he's the only one today paying any attention at all. You see, the, we think the crowd is the harvest, but it might not be. In this case, there was, the harvest was deeply tucked inside the crowd. So we keep preaching. So how can we know for sure that God is working around us? This is really important. I'm going to give you some practical application that came out of this study. Yes, there are some things that only God does. There are some things that preachers can't do, elders can't do it, people can't do it. If you see it happening, it ain't coming from us. It's coming from God. Do you know that? When you see these things happening, you can know that God is moving. And the primary point of this study is we don't tell, ask God to bless our clever ideas. We see what God is doing and we go participate in that which He has already initiated. So, Jesus says in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father does something. 
He's got to do something. I don't know how to do it. I don't know. I said like this. uh, Here's Tommy on the front row. I don't know where that switch is in Tommy's heart that switches him to receiving God's love. I don't know where that's in. I don't have an arm that reaches in. I don't know where that switches in on anybody. God does. He can reach inside a person and turn that to where they suddenly have eyes to see. They suddenly have ears to hear. They suddenly have a heart that can receive, believe, and obey. I I don't want to do that. I'm clueless. No one, here's what he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So we need to understand our limitations. Our limitations. I can't talk. If If I've got to talk you into it, it probably didn't work anyway. So here we go. Here's six things that only God can do. He does them all throughout the Holy Scriptures. He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only God can do it. Only God does it. And if you see these things happening, you can know for sure God is among us. He's doing something. What are they? He draws people to himself. No one can do it unless he's doing it. So he's here. He causes people to seek after him. He reveals spiritual truth. He convicts the world of guilt. He makes you feel guilty about that thing you never felt guilty about before. But today you do. Who did that? Wasn't me. He convicts the world of righteousness. And he convicts the world of judgment. Now all of that comes out of this last scripture for tonight. But I want to read it to you and I'm asking you to pay close attention. This is how you can tell if God is among us still working. But I tell you the truth. It is good that I'm going away. Can you imagine him telling that to those guys? It's good for me to leave you all alone. I bet they're saying, no, I don't think so. It's good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know why that's important? I don't want to go over this so everybody understand. You know why it was necessary for Jesus, the man, to go to the right hand of the Father so the counselor of the Holy Spirit would come? Because as long as Jesus was in the flesh, he was only going to be in one place at one time. He's a man. But if he would come in the Spirit, he could be anywhere all the time. The Spirit is not trapped inside this, you know, inside the bounds of human flesh. Now, some people would say, well, Jesus had a miraculous power as he is uh, resurrected. Yes, he did. But Jesus is the one that's saying, not me, Jesus is the one saying, it's to your advantage, trust me, that I leave because the Holy Spirit's not coming until I'm gone. So, what's the Holy Spirit going to do when he comes? Verse 8, when he comes, He will convict the world of three things, of guilt regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Who's doing it? The Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit working for? Jesus. Who's Jesus working for? The Father. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So, I'm going to ask you a question. Using this scale right here, do you see God at work at the Nineveh Christian Church? 
I do. I do. Using this scale, not my scale, his scale. Can you see God at work at the Nineveh Christian Church? I do. So that brings up the next biggest, biggest question. Have you joined him? Have you? What's your role in this? Last comment from Blackaby. Frequently, the reason we do not join God, I think I put go on there for some reason. Frequently, the reason we do not join God is because we're not committed to join God. You know what that means? You're not all in. I'm looking at people, and I can't tell. You can fake me out, but I'll tell you, there's nobody in the room faking him out. You're not all in. You're a little in, but you're not all in. He's got a little of your heart, but he don't have all your heart. We want God to bless us, not to work through us. You know what the difference is? The first one, I'm still in control. The second one, I have lost control. We want God to bless us. That keeps me in control. But for God to work through us, I got to relinquish all control of my life. I got to become Abraham on my way to Moriah with my boy Isaac. As a church, do not look for ways God is going to bless you. Look for ways God is going to reveal himself by working through you and beyond you to accomplish his purposes. And I can tell you that is a totally new way of following God. We know God, we worship God, we love God, we trust and obey God, and ultimately we experience God. It is all based on love. To join Jesus. Jesus says that the coming of the Son of Man will be as it was in the days of Noah. And you know what the difference was? In the days of Noah, all the people who belonged to God had gotten on a boat. And I can tell you the church is the ark of this day. He's coming for the church. The body of Christ is the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. The church, get in the boat. What was God's message in the time of Noah? Get in the boat. Only eight got in the boat. I don't know how many people lived in the time of Noah, but it doesn't look good. To the church, get in the boat. Why? Love is in the boat. God's family is in the boat. Do you understand? All of God's family in the time of Noah were in the boat. And when he comes for the next one, all of God's family is going to be in the boat. They're going to be in the church. The church is not a building. It's not an organization. It is the literal body of Christ. He's our brother. And because we've connected our lives to him through the body, we have automatically been connected to his father. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you called us out of love into this marvelous promise of hope in eternity. Now, Lord, may your will be done, not ours. May your kingdom reign in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.